Osiris. Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome back to We Move Through Stormy Weather, a fish podcast where we compare and contrast songs and the evolution of their jamming styles throughout the band's career. My name is Ryan Storm, and today, for the Season 2 premiere, I am so excited to be joined by Drew Hitz. Drew is an internationally renowned soloist, clinician, and speaker, having appeared in over 40 states and 30 countries. He has appeared with the National Symphony Orchestra, Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, Utah Symphony Orchestra, U.S. Army Blues, Alarm Will Sound, and the Marine Band of Mexico. Drew is also proud to serve on the board of directors for the Mockingbird Foundation, a nonprofit which has awarded grants in all 50 states, totaling over $1.9 million to help bring music education to children. Drew, say hi. What's up? Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being on. I'm very excited to talk about uh, Fish with you today, and I'm very excited to get back into it after uh, our summer hiatus. Yeah, um, thanks. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, anyone who knows uh, you on the Internet, at least, uh, should probably be able to predict what song we're going to be talking about today, because <laughs> uh, you kind of have a special relationship with it. Mahler 2? Just a little bit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we're going to be talking about Mike's song. Um, you know, not only do you really like this song, but you have quite a story around it as well. I think. Yes, indeed. You, for for those don't that don't know the story, would you mind telling it? Uh, no, not at all. So uh, I uh, have been obsessed 
I was obsessed for years with uh, with Fish bringing the the second jam, as it's called, uh, in Mike's song back, uh, which is um, when after the the first jam, which is always in uh, F sharp minor, which also used to be called the tramps segment, which was because like way back in the day, they used to actually jump on trampolines during that part of Mike's song, although that uh, predates me by like a year. Um, the uh, the second jam is when they would modulate down a half step to uh, F major and then would uh, proceed to play a lot more Mike song, which is good. And they uh, had not done that after the uh, Polaris uh, version in uh, the summer of 2000. I think it was 715, might be 714, 2000. And, um, and so I made it my mission to try and uh, get the band to bring the second jam back. And in uh, 2013, uh, I had the privilege of performing with the National Symphony when Trey Anastasio uh, pl- soloed with the orchestra. Amazing. And uh, afterwards, uh, after the concert, it's really hard to get out of the parking garage at the Kennedy Center. And so the orchestra, after a concert, like they all like throw their instruments in cases and then they run down the stairs or down the elevator. And then they're like out before most of us are even out into the main hall. <laughs> so meaning that the backstage was empty. It was Trey, his, uh, his manager and uh, me. And that was basically it for like all of backstage and Trey's awesome. door was open. <laughs> and I went and I asked him if I could, um, if I could be a pain in the ass fish fan. And he smiled because we had had like four conversations over the two days leading up to that. Mm-hmm. And um, he smiled and said, sure. And, uh, and then I told him about the second jam and he was like, he was eating something and he paused. He was like, I, he said, I have absolutely no recollection of that happening whatsoever. <laughs> and, uh, and then I said, that's what we thought. Like, you know, like I, I figured that they, he just hadn't thought about it. And, um, and he then said, you know, uh, he said, well, if it, if it comes, if we play it again, know that it's because of you, because like I had no memory of that. So I was like, okay. So I felt pretty good leaving there. Well, fast forward to that summer. Uh, I was playing a, I was, I was on tour out in Gunnison, Colorado, I think it was. And, uh, and my phone is blowing up. I'm actually in a meeting and my phone is blowing up and I know that fish is playing Mike's song. And I know that this is like the first <laughs> time that they've played Mike's song since. And I know it's either, and it turns out they, of course, did not play the second jam. And it was all of my friends telling me that I sucked and that I was useless. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it was very funny. Uh, so then uh, fast forward to um, summer of 2015. So it was a couple of years and many Mike songs that it didn't happen. 2015 uh, in Nashville, my good friend Don Hart uh, got me uh, into the sound check and uh, talked Quick with- side note, uh, Don Hart, for those that don't know, is um, the phenomenal- uh, composer and arranger that uh, did all the string parts for the Beacon Jams. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, he and he's just a wonderful human. Uh, I was backstage with him talking with Trey before the eight four fifteen um, Nashville show, and then I, um, you know, I I, I had a, a little bit of an opening, like maybe ten or so minutes, fifteen minutes into the conversation. And I said to Trey again, hey, can I be a pain in the ass fish fan for just a second? <laughs> and he gave me the same smile and he said, go for it. And then um, and then and then I uh, he said he said, yeah, be honest. He said, I can take it, which was very funny. 
and then I told him, I reminded him about the Mike song jam and, um, and you know, the second jam. And then he said, he's like, yeah. And he was trying to, and then I, I was like talking him through because he was asking where they went into <laughs> it. And so I'm trying to explain like the three chord thing about how it happens four times. Yeah. But they only do it twice and then drop down. And then, uh, and then he said, uh, <laughs> and then he was like, he was kind of like, kind of following along, but kind of not. And then I was like, would you like to hear it? And he goes, yeah. And because I'm a <laughs> psychopath, I then pulled my phone out and then just hit play because I had the, you uh, had the it most, ready just in case I, I had it literally <laughs> queued up to right before that segment started. So he's like cupping his hands and then like, and then he heard it and I was like, and now it goes down a half step and he goes like, Oh, and then like, you know, he seemed, uh, he seemed very interested. Um, and actually the, the, from a marketing standpoint, the thing I said was, Hey, how would you like to break? Uh, how would you like to break Twitter? That was what I said. And he was like, <laughs> he was like, yeah, let, well, yeah. He's like, what, what do you got? And so that's when I was like, reminded him, played it for him. And, uh, yeah. And then it happened that night. So, um, he did, he did it differently that night though. He didn't do he, it. They, well, that's because they didn't properly. even talk about it backstage. Like they actually, they <laughs> kind of, yeah, because it, I mean, I, it seems obvious because they, he went over and talked to Paige for like a while, you know, for like a good, like 20 seconds. And then, uh, and then he went back and talked to Fishman for a while and there was like a back and forth and I'm like, Oh my God, is this happening? And, uh, and Don is like looking at me and I was like, and then they dropped into the, and then they dropped in. And I was like, oh my, and that's when my phone started blowing up because I had tweeted earlier that I had played it for him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then my phone was like the, the notifications on Twitter were just, what like, was, <laughs> what was your feeling when they started doing the full closing chord segment? Uh, I, uh, I, I remember I tweeted like, you know, like, like no at the, go at the third you know? one. And, yeah. Like... And I was like, I was like, he's like, I was, I was wondering, I was like, is he trolling me? Which if he was like hats off, you know? And, uh, and then, and then like, and then he dropped and then launched and then, and then I, uh, and then I started, uh, actually I tweeted like, like 50 random characters, like in a <laughs> row, just like, you know, like exclamation yeah. points and at symbols and whatever. And that's, then, that's uh, a moment on, on the, on tape. It just like the crowd goes nuts and yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, all. I know I initially, I just did the touchdown symbol and then, uh, <laughs> and then I started like, I started losing it. So, yeah. but that is a way to get uh 3000 fish followers within 24 hours is to, Oh my uh, God. To, yeah. It's like, I've got like, I had something like 7,000 or something. If 3000 of those came between 9 p.m. uh you know central on uh on 8 4 15 and like 9 p.m the next night on 8 5 so it's pretty funny that's great well that that yeah. that, uh, that mike song jam is pretty great and they did another one uh later in summer 2015 at alpine which correct it, it's shorter and it very overlooked i think because yep. i've never really heard anyone talk about it but it's still great and then i saw the one after that which was raleigh uh, and, uh, and they didn't do it and they had set, they had sound checked Mike's song. They obviously figured out that they weren't doing it in the right place. And then they sound checked it, uh, in Raleigh and couldn't figure it out. Uh, and then, oh, really? yep. And then when they didn't <laughs> do it, I knew it was done for a while until it came back at the Baker's dozen, which we're about yes. to talk about. Speaking of, yeah. So the, the Baker's dozen, you know, me being the 3.0 kid that I am. That's, that's my pick for my favorite Mike song mm -hmm. and yours. Uh, you know, people who follow you on Twitter, see you, uh, rant and rave about this jam all the time, uh, which great. is the new year's 1995 Mike song. Yes. So do yeah. you want to talk a little bit about why that one is your favorite, why you love it so much? Sure. Um, 
Yeah, the December 95 is my favorite month in fish history. If I had to choose one, uh, then that is it for for a number of reasons. But this um, this Mike song is uh, kind of like the perfect culmination of the of the entire fall 95, December 95. And it's um, it's creative on a number of levels when when they started it. It was uh, for nerds like me who who keep track of this kind of thing. It was very confusing because there was, um, well, it was like the second set was almost over, and then you've got set break, and then you've got, uh, you know, the, you you have to start the third set at a very specific time on New Year's Eve because there has to be a, you know, you can't have your countdown at twelve ten, you know, it's got to be at midnight. And so when or in twenty sixteen's case eleven fifty eight. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. So, yeah, it seems like things have been going wrong on New Year's as of late, but um, including yeah, band members trapped above uh, Madison Square Garden. But yeah, I know, I know, this year the gag will not involve anyone in the air. I would guess not. <laughs> I would guess not. At least not Trey in the air. Yeah, that would uh, that would be my guess. Guaranteed, but, uh, he makes a joke about it. Yeah, I, that's probably he is. Uh, yep, us uh, us dads, you get to a certain age, and yeah, the humor gets. Uh, I've never met your dad. I bet a lot of his humor is pretty predictable. You can probably yes. see you absolutely see like yeah, three quarters of it coming from like five days away if you if you're paying attention. Yeah, but um, it's our anyway, brand. Back to so. back to the jam. Back to the jam. Uh, Mike's uh, the you know the Mike song started at like at like a little bit before eleven o'clock. And it's like, what the hell is going on here? Because we need like, they need time to set the stage. Uh, it was very, very confusing because, you know, of course, they had, they had never, uh, to my knowledge, and if I'm wrong, uh, you should see, email Ryan and complain. Don't email me. Um, and yeah. uh, But I, they had never played a, a Mike song to close a set. They, they had done Mike's All Lang Syne Weekapog before. They did that uh, New Year's 92 but the Mike song, uh, which if you haven't heard that, it's actually awesome because Trey does the countdown while they're playing the Mike's jam. Ooh. Um, and uh, yeah, and and he at one point he like screams because that was when he was young and would scream a lot. He like screams. We've got one and a half minutes left in this year. Everybody make it good. And then just goes, wow, he just screams like while he's ripping <laughs> into Mike's song, which is very cool. Uh, but. But that was like the start of set three. They walked out to play Mike's song, which went into a countdown, All Legs on Weekend This one, they played a Mike song, which uh, ended up like the second jam ended up like dissolving into this wall of sound. Uh, and then that, uh, a, you know, a loop jam, which uh, he had played in a few other, we used to call it a big show jam because it only happened on legendary nights like the Providence Bowie from a year and two days beforehand. Um, so then that, that loop, um, you know, like emerged out of that wall of sound chaos while the rest of the band all walked off stage. And so it's just Trey on the stage with his, um, with his pedals and his guitar. And then, and that was this crazy creative thing. And then it kind of died down. And then he said, uh, you know, thanks everybody. We'll see you in 15 minutes and then walked off. And then they came back and then did like the time machine uh, thing. And then, uh, you know, and then all Lang Syne, you know, countdown all Lang Syne and then proceeded to play the greatest week of Pog ever played. So um, that um, that Mike's jam has a uh, has a set break in the middle of it. It has like 
Uh, my favorite all Lang Syne, believe it or not. Uh, which, you have a uh, favorite all Lang Syne. It's that one because only only the most hardcore fish fans. The uh, well, it's more more like hardcore music nerds because uh, the uh, that the the all Lang Syne from New Year's '95. Uh, Trey specifically, his use of uh, ornamentation uh, is is like Paul McCartney singing "Hey Jude" level amazing, uh, oh. meaning that. Um, if you if you listen to Hey Jude, then uh, Paul McCartney does not add a lot of extra notes at all until like many times through the melody because it's this beautiful melody. And he just there's a lot of singers these days who will, um, you know, that I saw a basketball game two years ago where at this Wizards game, the um, the young woman singing the national anthem, uh, singing our national anthem, which is not a good song to begin with. Um, I'm, I'm jealous of yours. Yours is much better up there, uh, up there in Canada. Love Thank to you. trade, but, um, the, uh, but, but she, she sang, it was like, Oh, oh say yeah, it's like, a, it's like a, she had to breathe after long song. It's she, like five well, she, minutes. Had, she had to breathe after the word say it's, Oh, say, can you see is the first half of the first phrase. And, and she had breathe. to breathe after the second word. And uh, which is fine, but that's not my speed. But if you listen to Trey's use of uh, embellishment uh, in that all Lang Syne, I've used it as an example for students like quite a bit of how to, you know, add just a little bit. It's like, you know, you, you can't uh, you can't put so much seasoning on food that it like only tastes like the seasoning <laughs> or else you ruin the food. Got so, a point. Yeah. So, yeah, I love the whole uh, the, that that whole Mike's groove is just uh is is incredible yeah well the, yeah the, i mean it, it is a great mike song i will say you're not gonna like me for this but i'm i'm not as hot on it as you are i you know i think the jam before the deconstruction around the 14 minute mark is like going places and i think when it kind of moves into that wall of sound kind of thing um that's where it kind of loses me a little bit like that's part of why um, I don't like the mid nineties jamming as much as 3.0 or the later nineties um, just cause it feels kind of disjointed to me. And it, you know, like to me when I was listening to it yesterday, um, you know, it was just the grooves going along and then suddenly it's just Fishman just stops and just goes on symbols and then it's just noise. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, there are lots of noise jams later in their career that feel like it's still like moving and still like has a purpose, like something like, you know, a lot of the synthed out crazy jams from this year. Um, there's still like a direction to the jam I find, but this one feels like they're all kind of playing on their own, which it, it might be kind of the appeal, but to me, that's not as good as something like, you know, the Baker's dozen version, which I picked, which doesn't break particularly um like new or exciting ground but it's just a great you know baker's dozen uh bliss peak jam um i i think also you know it, it's it's a it's cool looking at it because at the time like were, were you at did you say you were at the baker's dozen for that show uh, I was, this was the first Baker's dozen show I caught was this yeah. one. Yep. So at, at that point, when they opened the second set with Mike's, you know, seeing the Baker's dozen before that, were you fairly certain that it was going to be a second jam? Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, uh, so no, actually. Really? Uh, well, 
I just, because they hadn't done it in years, uh, you know, I mean, I, at set break, I was speaking with uh, some of my uh, old friends and uh, Mike Lowe, who you probably know from Twitter, um, who's a a fellow musician. He was saying like they were going to play a second jam and that it was going to be that night. And I told him he was full of crap. And I was like, it's probably, it's not going to happen. And he was like, mark my words. And, uh, and then, uh, so we were not sitting together. I was sitting with like three other uh, f- longtime uh, fish friends that I've been seeing fish with since the early mid nineties. Um, but, um, but then Mike uh, still to this day enjoys uh, telling, you know, pointing out that I was full of crap uh, yeah. when I told him that he was full of crap. So what, what was it like for you being in the room when they executed the drop into the second jam properly? Well, they, uh, they almost did actually, Mike did not go down the half step, like right away. Like, right oh. on, yeah, it's like, it's still like a, it's still slightly, you know, it's yeah. But, but they did it at the right time. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. <laughs> but in terms of, you know, it was like, they didn't like stick the landing. I was, uh, I was very, I mean, every Mike song from, from, uh, 2000. Well, it's not like we knew that they weren't going to be doing second jams, like in, um, you know, after that Polaris, um, right. You know, but everyone once, especially once it became apparent that they didn't do that anymore, um, that was, um, you know, I was hoping it would come back when they came back for 3.0. And then, um, you know, when they played it in Hampton, um, there's been a lot of Mike songs that uh, I I think it's it's one of their best, like, just like, let's go exploring songs. And Mm -hmm. so when they happen super late in sets with the exception of new year's 95, which is like the weird one with a set break in the middle of the mic's groove. I always, I I'm always bummed because it just kind of takes the jamming off the table basically, because if you've got 30 minutes left in the set, then or it's going to be like a Mike's farmhouse week, something like that. Even if it's a hydrogen, it's just, it's going to be paint by numbers because it has to be because you can't, you know, you're not just going to play until midnight, you know? Right. I'm, so, I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that this fall, uh, we see it come back, especially with, uh, the strong summer that Mike's had relative to the last decade or so, you know, we had the amazing jammed out version from Deer Creek. Uh, mm-hmm. the shoreline one really stretched its legs. Mm-hmm. Like they, 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 they've been, they've been letting it breathe a little bit more. Um, yes, yes they have. You know. Yeah, it's good. I I like I I just it's always uh, everything's about managing expectations, right? Yeah. Like I I don't uh, I don't get upset when they don't uh, go exploring when they play Farmhouse because like you know which is like a perfectly fine song that I you know I don't I don't really ever need to see them play it again because I've seen it like I don't I've seen it twenty five times. I saw them play it on Letterman live. Uh, you know, it's just right. like yeah, it's like it's, it, I'm I'm good with that. But Mike's song has the potential, not like living in the past, even just today, as like this amazing vehicle for a very interesting conversation. So when it's just like you know, it's just kind of going through the motions, um, then it's it's always a it's always a letdown. Yeah, it's one it's one of those things. There have been a few versions the last few years that have come like opening or early in a second set where mm-hmm. I've thought like maybe they'll do it here. Yeah. But then they don't. Um, but I'm hoping like, you know, I'm, I'm hoping this fall we get, uh, you know, a jammed out mics, obviously like someday I think we're going to get a jammed out ACDC bag again. Someday they I teased so. us with it by opening the second set, uh, at deer Creek with it. Right. It's a pretty good set. Yep. Otherwise, without that, sure. um, opening the second set at the Baker's Dozen with it too um, was also a big tease. Um, right. 
but you know, I'm I'm just I'm hopeful that we get something like that. And you know, with like, I don't think anyone thought the Hallie's Jam was ever coming back, but then right. it did. Yeah. Um, so anything's possible with this band, really. Anything is possible. Yeah, Bag is an interesting tune because uh, you know, there's actually not even historically there's not very many jammed out bags at all like it's a very now the the boise one from 99 and the uh 1230 97 from msg i mean those are two of the greatest uh fish jams ever played uh, for my taste i agree um, on boise not as much on the 1230 97 really that's a that's a chat for another episode there you go. I um yeah, see, yeah, we have we have a very different taste in fish because first of all, like Definitely. all that all that noise stuff is like summer ninety-five. Like, yeah, I'm I was probably the only person at the Mud Island show that when the tweezer ended after fifty-one minutes, I was pissed <laughs> that they ripcorded it. Like I was like <laughs> I was ready for that to go for another hour and a half. Um but yeah, uh, see I stuff like that, like a lot of the you know, 50 minute jams like that, like the the Worcester runaway gym from uh-huh. 97. Like mm-hmm. I have a hard time sitting through that whole thing. Yeah. Um, but something like the shoreline soul planet, you know, I can get through no problem. Sure. But that, that 123097 bag, I have uh, tweeted before that, um, that someone should form a religion uh, with that <laughs> jam uh, as like the, as the central, like higher power that over and, that over Boise, yeah. huh? Uh, well, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, they're different. Um, that's, um, that it's interesting cause you're such a page fan that 123097 bag, uh, that has some of the best, uh, page, uh, playing, uh, I think that he's ever done in his career, uh, in the middle, in the middle of that. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'll like, have to go back to that later today. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I think, I mean, we're now talking about a different song, but oh, you know, sorry, that, no, 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 that's part of the fun. I go we, tangents are part of the open-ended nature of this podcast. It's great. I'm known for tangents off of tangents. It's so, great. Yeah, um, the host, but, you're the one who has to bring it back, which you're doing right now, very professionally. I was actually gonna say something about the Boise bag first, no. but <laughs> <laughs> I, we were eventually gonna circle back. Great, great. Um, the Boise good. one, I think, also has some phenomenal uh, page playing in a very different way to uh, the '97 one. I think it's just mm-hmm. you know in the more ambient uh 99 style like his piano and that first ambient section is amazing and then mm-hmm. that groove at the end his uh synth with the cs60 is phenomenal um i i just yeah th- that jam to me is like the two jams from 1.0 that i really like that i probably have in my top 10 list are that and the lakewood 97 ghost oh there you go like yeah, the, that one's uh... that one the the lakewood ghost is one of my favorite fish jams of all time um that's uh that that thing is uh that's a heater yeah yeah that's uh and the I, I had not I had not heard any there I hadn't gotten any tapes yet from Europe ninety seven which was right before that tour mm-hmm. um so the first time that I ever heard the song Ghost was in Virginia Beach you know on the twenty first oh yeah and then and then like two days later uh there was you know then they're playing in Atlanta and playing that version it was just yeah that was uh. Yeah. What an embarrassment of riches. That's also, uh, you know, the tray screaming in the middle of the jam. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, back to Mike's song. (laughs) Hey, what are we going to talk about? (laughs) What's this episode (laughs) called anyway? Um, So for me, um, I think the one thing that uh, the New Year's 95 version definitely has over the Baker's Dozen version is the strength of the type one section. Um, which is very typical for 1995 over 2017. Mm-hmm. You know, it's faster. Trey's playing is more agile, I guess. Um, 
and yeah, so it has that. But for me, um, I really like um, going back and like how smoothly they kind of go back and forth between uh, Paige and Trey leading every so often in the Baker's Dozen version. Um, there was a moment, uh, where is it? I'm looking through my notes. Um, can't find it in my notes right now. <laughs> Uh, but there there was a moment when I was listening to it last night where I was struck by how smoothly it went from Trey soloing to him stepping back to rhythm and Paige leading on the Whirly uh, mm-hmm. a little bit. And the way he brings the synth in uh, around 13 and a half minutes to me, just like it re- this jam kind of really exemplifies, um, you know, the kind of comfortable safe jams that they were able to pull off every night of the baker's dozen like you know this isn't going to crazy new places like um the baker's chalk dust uh for example but it's it's in a way like the the simple that would come on the last night it's just like we're here like we're really fucking good at this kind of jam and we're gonna play it amazingly Yeah, that's well put. The to circle back to the to the first jam, uh, I would uh, yeah, it is um, it's a little slower, but it's also um, the feel is a lot different for the first jam. Um, Very the the 
one complaint that I have had overall for Mike Sung for a long time now, like all through 3.0 and including 4.0, uh, is although, as you said, it's gotten a lot more interesting. Um, I don't need a second jam. I just want Mike Sung to be interesting and for me to not know exactly where it's going. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. It's kind of like what I'm looking for there. Um, but the, the, if you listen to, um, it's not just Trey, it's all four of them. There is a real, um, there's a real like driving intensity, um, in, uh, you know, December 95 Mike yeah. songs that extended all the way through 96 as well. Um, which is not my favorite year of fish, especially considering like what's on either side of it. Um, uh, although like the, the highlights are, are glorious, but there's, um, it's, it's very much leaning forward and it is, uh, it's like driving angry a little bit, even when it's not, even when it's not loud, it's, it's possible to drive angry at a medium and lower dynamic, which is totally missing in 3.0 and 4.0 in that section. Right. And that's very much the vibe of 95 and a lot of 1.0 stuff and 2.0 even like there was a lot more darkness and anger in the band, which I mean, you know, there's not as much darkness and anger in the band, but they can still have a really good time getting to really weird places. Um, it's just, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's a different vibe because also, you know, they're 30 years older almost. And you know, it's, 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 they're, they're different people now. Yep. Yeah. Although yes, yes, they are. Um, I will say that uh, for me as a musician and when I'm teaching or coaching people, you know, it's music is all about um, is all about contrast. Everything is about contrast. And when the, and like the, the new year's 95 mics with the exception of like the, when it dissolves into the wall of sound is not a particularly angry or amped up mic song. I mean, you know, there's like, there's urgency there, but to me, the whole like you know the intensity of it and then that wall of sound like that that sets up the fact that the uh, you know that the Weekapog, which is like which is like one of the best tension and release examples that the band has ever done in that style of jamming it makes it that much more glorious when you know like what one thing that i have um at times with fish in 3.0 and some in this last tour, which I loved in 4.0 is that when the band doesn't seem to have much happening in terms of a jam, there's just nothing that's really all that interesting, which happens. That's what it's called. Improvisational music. It's like, you, it's impossible to have a really interesting conversation every single time if right. you're, or, or else you're not taking any chances. And if you're not taking any chances, then it's maybe never, never not interesting. It's also never super interesting either. And hanging out in the middle is lame, right? And lots of bands do that. So that's not a, that's not a, um, a diss, but when there's nothing that's really going on, they have this uh, propensity of late to modulate up a perfect fourth and then play yep. in a major key and then do like a bliss jam which like, you know, they're really good at that. And in the moment, like that's, that's fun and nice, but those are the kind of jams I, I like never go back and listen to again. Well, that's kind of what they do in the Baker's version. <laughs> well, it is except that yes, except that uh, it is. And yet it didn't to me feel, and this is a, this is my judgment, which you can completely take or leave. 
But that one did not feel like it was one of those modulations where they just didn't know what else to do, so they modulated and then right. It, it felt like a it. purposeful. Yes, let's do this. Yeah, yep, yeah, and so, um, yeah. But for me, one complaint that I have had um, of over the last uh, you know twelve years of fish is that the um, the lower softer dynamics from a band wide perspective have almost completely disappeared. And what I mean by that is that, um, if you listen to, um, well, if you listen to any of the, the, uh, Trey Anastasio band tour for that just happened, there were, uh, moments, uh, where like I saw the, the DC show here at the Anthem, which was incredible talking about farmhouse before they played farmhouse. And like in the middle of that jam, Trey started getting softer and like, uh, you know, Desron, like just like almost, he didn't stop playing, but it like almost disappeared. Fishman immediately went with it. There was like, it was like whisper quiet. Um, every slave jam from 1994, right when the jam starts, it's like triple piano. Yeah. It's like, there's not. And now, now at that point in a slave, uh, and it's beautiful what he plays, but Mike plays a lot of notes and it's yeah. loud. It's like, it's like a bass solo right there. Yeah. But to me, like when, you know, if, if the mountaintop is here, you know, it's like, and you start here, it's not as good as if you start here, if you're actually, if the build is the point. Right. And, and I, I think not, not, you know, jam wise, but this year they've been really good at like, I, I mean, they've been playing a lot of the ballads really, really well. Stuff they like, have. like The Lonely Trip, uh, mm-hmm. Mountains in the Mist has been mm-hmm. amazing. Um, yes. And, and a jam that comes to mind that's kind of recent that does the kind of quiet dynamic shift that you're talking about is the uh, the Albany 2018 Show of Life. Mm-hmm. Um, that one, I mean, easily the best version of the song. Um, but it... Although I will, since you disparaged uh, 95 jamming, I'll disparage Show of Life, and I will say that the greatest <laughs> version of that song ever is not the highest bar to clear. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's still, that that jam to me, um, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's it sticks out in 2018 because it's mm-hmm. a lot more patient in a, a mostly type one jam that you don't get a lot yeah. uh, in recent years. And yep. I, I think it's phenomenal and, you know, I talk about fall 2018 endlessly. Yes, you um, do. <laughs> but <laughs> you talk about fall 2018 as much as I talk about fish. <laughs> fair. <laughs> That's fair. That's a great tour. But so to, to loop back in terms of like, everything is about contrast to me. And right. so uh, when there are times now this summer, uh, Mike's song did not, uh, did not feel this way to me, but when, uh, when like the first jam in Mike's or meaning like the only jam, when it kind of feels like they're driving, like with one foot on the gas pedal, but also one foot over the brake pedal. So you just like, you know, like they just keep on like the, the brake lights just keep kind of, you know, flickering on and off. Right. Rather than just like, just go. Right. I, you know, Mike's song used to, used to be like a, like a cab driver in Manhattan where yeah. it was just like, just like they were like go, diving go, for go. Dr- diving for green lights, like, you know, swerving like court vision, like knowing what lane they need to be in at what intersection to get like through like three seconds faster. And now it's like, it can be much more, much more passive, which again, when, when the, the times when I have been, uh, 
felt like things were lacking of late is when the soft dynamics are kind of middle and the fast tempos are a little bit slower and the um you know like the real driving stuff is a little bit less driving it's kind of this like it can be this like it recedes like to the mean kind of thing and right. so much of music is about contrast and i'm six foot four i'm very tall however if i was in a team photo with the washington wizards first of all you'd be like who's the old dude because i'm 46 but <laughs> but uh but you would not call me tall and i'm actually taller than like i don't you know i'm taller than uh than more than one or two members of the toronto raptors right but there's like a whole bunch of people who are taller than me as well it's all yeah. about everything is about contrast right and so um yeah and so that it felt like the contrast was uh, starting to come back. Although this, like this tab tour that just happened again, the soft dynamics fish has not played anything where the bottom dropped out. Like it did in three different places in that 10, one tray show, like since like 1994, I don't think, I mean, oh, like okay. it's been like a long time. I'm, I'm going to blame um, Mike becoming a really good uh, and assertive bass player. <laughs> Well, yes. I mean, uh, yes and no. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, it it does it it does seem like it is him that doesn't go. Yeah, because I I think it's 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 a difference between Mike's role in Fish and Desron's role in Tab. Like Tab is there to support Trey. Fish, they're all an even like they're an even playing field. So Mike is an equal part of the band and is very much a lead player. Like they're all sure. lead players. In Tab, Desron's there to like you know, compliment what Trey's doing and, you know, push Trey on. Um, but at the end of the day, like if he sees Trey going down, he's going to follow. Yeah. Yeah. Although I will push back the, the, uh, a little bit, you didn't quite say this, but there are, have always been people over the years that say that like that fish is a democracy. It's not like that's, it's like not spoken, but that's, it's Trey's bands. Trey right. decides oh, what they play. You were, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you, but yeah. there are a lot of people who think that fish is completely, it's like, no, there, if you want to get like the second jam to come back, like yeah, you, you don't talk to page. You, yeah. you can't. And he might be like, Oh wow, that's interesting. But like, no, it's like, Trey is the one who right. Yeah, at no point does Mike walk over to Trey in the middle of a set and be like, you know, the you know, mutter, 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 mutter for 25 seconds about some psycho fan who had his cell phone queued up to like, you know, a jam that he yeah. heard and then and then go over to Paige and be like, hey, there was this tall psycho dude who played, blah, 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 you know, and then <laughs> and then say to me, you know, that just doesn't happen. So right. it is it is Trey's band. But I just wish that I boy, I th this is something that I before I saw Fish, I had seen, uh, I had seen so many rock concerts. Sorry, I was, when was your first show again? Twelve thirty one ninety three. So it got was, it. Yeah, New Year's oh, New Year's ninety three. Yes, legendary uh, hood. Yeah, that was the first time I ever heard the song Harry Hood was, oh. uh, and I was tenth row center, just like yeah, like oh. it was like Trey played it for me. So. Um, which also I'm guessing the person who was ninth row center thought that Trey was playing it for them and we were all right. So, yeah. um, but before I ever saw fish, like I had seen, uh, I had seen guns and roses twice. I'd seen Metallica. I'd seen ACDC. I'd seen Aerosmith and U2 and faith no more and living color. Like the list goes on and on and on and on, uh, Pearl jam and, and, uh, and none of those bands, did what fish did dynamically like none of them 
And even even Metallica didn't play louder or more furiously than Fish did in like a 94 split open and melt. Oh, yeah. Which was just like absolute. I mean, that was like that was 94 split open and melts when they got going were like a, a cab driver in Manhattan who was like on meth. I mean, that's like <laughs> that's that's what a 94 melt jam. But then they would also um, well, a perfect example is seven nine ninety four. Great Woods, which is my, uh, which is probably my favorite split open and melt that I've ever seen. Uh, that um, the end of that, that's like a, a typical ninety four melt. It's like it's unbelievable. And then at the at the very end, they uh, it diminuendos and it diminuendos and it diminuendos and it goes down to absolutely nothing. Again, this is like the part of melt in ninety four when like they're like. You know, they're usually sounds like up, they're like up, sacrificing up, yeah. animals. Yeah, like in, <laughs> in some sort of like a ritual, you know, and it just goes down to absolutely nothing. And then it it ends and then and then, or then it like just huge surge at the very end to like right. this crazy explosive ending. Um, you know, that that to me, like Fish does not play with that level. And that was in a packed Great Woods amphitheater. This is not like. A small okay, theater, yeah. This is not three thousand person or fifteen hundred person. Yeah, this right. is not the rock pile in Toronto, right? This is like this was the this was a, a gigantic cookie cutter amphitheater. I do wish that they would um and this is not a living in the past thing. This is not a gatekeeper thing before anybody and like because people think that and I it's bullshit. I like I like music with contrast. And that's just, they happened to have played with it back then. And that's just one thing. I don't want them to sound like it's 94 again, although I wouldn't turn that down. <laughs> um, but like, I just wish that they would explore the the, the bottom dynamics, um, you know, more. Because I yeah. think it, it's just, my mentor, Sam Palafian, used to say that our number one uh, tool as musical storytellers is dynamics. And that's uh, that, that's really uh, that's really important. And they play with dynamic contrast, but they used to play with dynamic contrast that I had literally never heard from any rock band before or since. Mm -hmm. And now they're just a rock band who's really good at playing with dynamic contrast, but it's not a holy shit, I can't believe how much ground they cover kind of a thing, if that makes sense. Right. I, I, I would say, um, you know, I, I've said for a while, and I had this thought probably a year or two ago, um, the perfect fish would be their 94 bodies with their 2021 brains. You know, have their have their knowledge and improvisational, uh, you know, years now just with their chops of the mid nineties. Yeah, that's interesting. Just because you know, then you get then you get the absolute greatness of improvisation, which I, in in my opinion, has never been better. I've been saying that since like twenty thirteen, but I haven't been right. I I've I've only been right since like twenty eighteen. Um. <laughs> Yeah, if you were if you were saying during summer 2016 that that was as good as fish improv gets, that's a uh, yeah that's, no that's, a, was... that's an uphill that's like eating a, a McDonald's. Be like, this is the finest meal I have ever eaten in my and life. Also, and also, you know, I didn't hear a note of 1.0 consciously until like 2017. So interesting. Yeah, you know, when I was younger, I listened to the you know the shows that I had on my iPod, which were like you know six twenty four twelve that I was at. Um, mm -hmm a couple of new year's shows that I had streamed and mm -hmm. a few assorted other shows that like my dad had been at, or we right. had just gotten downloads of for some cool. reason. Oh. Um, 
And so, you know, as finally in like late 2017, um, my friend was like, just listen to the Island tour. And I was like, okay, I've never listened to, you know, anything from like the nineties. Like really, like I had gone back and like hit a couple of songs randomly, but this was the first time I was like, okay. And I listened to the whole Island tour and I was like, all right, <laughs> like this is, this is what all the hype's about in 1.0. Right. Um, you know, I still have always uh, steadfastly uh, stuck by my belief that uh, 3.0 is better. But, you know, I, I'll i die on that hill, as you know. Um, <laughs> that's what so, that's the whole that's how why this podcast exists. So now I'm curious, are you um, is uh, is it now like 3.0 and 4.0 are better or is 3.0 better than 4.0 or See, like so this is, is the, the hill thing. changing? This is the thing because there hasn't been enough 4.0 for it to, you know, like there's been one incredible tour, mm-hmm. but that doesn't yet stand up to, um, you know, the bunch of like fall 2018, summer 2017, summer 2015, fall 2016, fall 2013. Like, you know, I'm going to give it a few years, see where the band is in like 2024, or 2025, and then, you know. <laughs> Re- reevaluate what, once they hit their 40th year. <laughs> there you go. We'll yeah, I happens. will. I will say that one of the things that initially drew me to the band, like big time, like that night on New Year's 93, when it when it blew my mind was how well they executed shockingly complicated songs. Uh, and that's something that uh, that like, I mean, like foam, for example, right? Yeah. Like or fluffhead. Or the first time Dave- I heard that song, I the first time I heard foam, I was like, "What the hell am I listening to? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is ridiculous." <laughs> it, it's it, but what they used to do in terms of, um, in terms of, there were so many parallels with what I would see them do right in front of me in the early mid, you know early if you 93 i guess just call it mid 90s uh 93 94 95 that fish had the ability like trey had the ability to play foam and to nail the crap out of foam faster than usual slower than usual loud soft Uh, i mean like he just like he could like it was it was like a computer program where you could literally just like type in a new line of code to change one aspect and it came out like that's how he had been playing it the entire time. And that was when with that composed stuff that uh, that that page could change the articulation on something like this much. And then Trey would like by the end of that measure would change the articulation of his playing the exact same way. Yeah. And so they were in a and part of it is that in 94, they played like they played Bowie like. God, what what's the numbers like 40 times 50 times like in just 1994 just right. bowie so many and yeah and um and and now especially when they like try and play like 240 songs every year um which i've been advocating for repeats for a long time like i keep tweeting that repeats are actually good um but but you know like now there's a, all of that complicated stuff it's it's uh again it's like it's kind of like it's middle dynamics it's like a middle tempo. It's like middle uh, articulations. It's like, you know, it's not um, it's not nearly as intentional or nuanced. And that was a massive part of what drew me to the band to begin with. Right. 
um, which is largely um, which is largely missing now. Um, I, I would say that I would say I agree with you that it, it was you know missing a lot uh, in 3.0. Like I'd say what they what they um, you know the leaps and bounds and improvisation that they had uh, over the you know 2009 to 2020. Um, you know they sacrificed um, you know not because they had to sacrifice it, but just because I guess they didn't practice the composed sections as much they sacrificed a lot of the tightness like you know a lot of the bowies and fluff heads and you know the foam from mohegan sun in 2019 like you know trey is just lost um and you know that's just i mean but then you listen to the way they've been playing them this year um and it's like you know a new life and i hope that um you know trey's um newfound practice uh carries over for you know not just this year and hopefully it's not like an isolated thing like 2015 was um where you know next year we have like a summer 2016 tour (laughs) knock on wood um and and i i would rather have super interesting jams if i have to choose one thing i'd rather have super interesting jams than well-played uh tunes um but but I, but if I'm being honest, that that was one of the things which absolutely blew my hair back because as a musician, that was what I have spent thousands of hours in a practice room, like recording small chunks and then listening back at half speed to hear exactly whether like, you know, four sixteenth notes are crunched or whether the third one is moved a little to the left oh, okay. or whether all four <laughs> of the articulations are exactly even this is the level of work that like any professional musician has done. And it was obvious that fish had done that much, uh, just as much homework as I had. And that, although at that point it was more, cause I was young at that point. Right. Um, but, uh, but I, that, that I was in the process of, um, and, and there are, um, there are a small but very vocal uh, minority of people on Twitter who think that if you like point any of this out, then you should give your tickets to someone who still likes the band, which <laughs> is like you. Yeah. The, the like complete absence of any like ability to think about anything deeply in that response is embarrassing. Right. <laughs> Cause like, and I'm not trying, I'm not trying to get you to think like I am or to pay attention to this. And it's not, you wouldn't be more enlightened. I don't mean you, I mean anybody, right. I don't right. mean Ryan. I mean, any person you wouldn't be more enlightened if you did or, you know, but, but the fact that like someone would just completely discount the part, the fact that a professional musician can really long for the days when they used to like execute on like a world class, like top 0.1% of all professional musicians yeah. at the world level and that they don't anymore. And that that means I should sell my tickets is kind of like, okay, good talk. Like you're, you must be fun at parties. Right. So, <laughs> actually they probably are. They probably say that they have equal fun at all parties because it's just, <laughs> otherwise they're judging parties and they, uh, yeah, I just want to pat those people on the head. So. Right. But yeah, I, I would just say like, you know, the composed sections of songs haven't sounded this good in you know a long time. I think it's like true. It's stuff true. like the Nashville Fluffhead, um, yep. like yep. the Dix Bowie. The Dix yep. Bowie was nearly perfect. Uh, you know, just hearing Trey rip through those. Um, you know, obviously not with the same intensity as he did in uh, the '90s, but still playing it. Yep. Um, you know, when when you compare the Nashville Fluffhead to something like uh, the the New Year's Eve 2017 Fluffhead where Trey just doesn't play for a whole bunch of 
parts of it because he can't remember what it is. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, granted, like, you know, obviously it's because he didn't practice them enough, but you know, him going on stage and be like, all right, I'm going to remember this song that I wrote, you know, 30 years ago. That's, um, incredibly complex that I haven't played in six months. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, and it's also, it's, it's, it's practice, but it's also, uh, it's also reps. I mean, I don't care how hard you work in the practice room. There's a difference between, uh, being on stage and being in the practice room. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's like, it is, uh, anytime, you know, my white whale is I've never seen alumni blues and, uh, but like a letter to Jimmy page in the middle of alumni blues, that is hard enough that like Trey cannot play that like, you know, one time a year. And like, you know, the, the version at Dick's, like he was leaving out notes. I mean, the middle of that is like, don't take it, 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 take it. And he was going like, dumb, da, 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 da. He wasn't even, don't take it, take it, take it, take And it was still like super clunky and like, you know, very, very labored. And, but that's the kind of, and he absolutely could nail the crap out of that if he took it into a practice room and slowed it down and recorded himself and listened and did like the thing, you know, but, but he's got like, you know, he did that kind of stuff in 94, but he also wasn't like, uh, well, I, he got married in 94, uh, but like, you know, he wasn't yet married. He didn't have kids. He didn't have sobriety to work on. He wasn't like doing all these side, you know, it's like he, his life was guitar. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, different, different life places, but it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that, you know, the, the contrast and, I'm, right. but they're, it's, it's amazing how creatively relevant they are now at this point in their career is yeah. like, is amazing. Yeah. And so Truly. before we wrap up, I just, cause this is going to be coming out uh, a few days before fall tour starts. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your uh, thoughts? Like, what are you, what are you expecting uh, from fall tour? I, because of Tab Tour and Trey and Fishman playing together, and what happened in you know th- this um <laughs> what I'm, happened? <laughs> uh, I'm not a um um and and first let me uh I'm complaining about the complainers a lot, which uh, some people enjoy, and then everyone else is like, oh God, shut up. But um I just want to be clear that like uh, heaping praise on Desron is not uh slighting tony in the least of course and uh well but you say of course but that's actually news to some people you're right um and that saying how great fishman like how he pushed it is not like a slight right at like at all um and yet people don't get that um and it's also not minimizing the like why fishman was joined the tour was because like you know like the regular drummer got a life-threatening disease it's like Okay, like, and that's like, and it sounds like they're all doing well, which is like awesome. That's yeah. like a million times more important than how the, how soft the freaking farmhouse jam got, you know? I mean, like, that's life. And this is just, this is just art, which is very important. But if we can just like set aside the COVID thing or else we can't talk about the music at all. Um, that tab tour, uh, it, uh, I believe that it's not just because Fishman joined I, I think it's when he joined and then the fact that the horns got pulled midstream, they had no rehearsal time other than what was like actually on the road, which meant right, that and that's had, why there was so many song repeats. And that's also why they had to go so deep on so many songs. 
And so you, um, you know, because they like the Baker's dozen, there was like this kind of unique set of circumstances that forced them to extend things. And, um, and, and I think that uh, the Desron was like, he blew my mind with how much he pushed Trey, it sounded like he and Fishman had been uh, touring together right? for, for three like, straight months. Oh, my I, God. The, I saw the, the rhythm second section. Sh- I saw insane. the second show. I saw the second show of the two of them playing together, and it sounded like they had been playing together for years. And I'm sure you noticed this, too. Trey and Ray's interplay mm-hmm. uh, during those shows was nuts. Like, mm-hmm. I, I've never heard something like – like, I've never heard – it like that from the two of them before change is change is good the baker's dozen was change because it was like okay we got to fill like you know 13 shows without any repeats right that's like and so it forced them uh to uh to dig deep on a lot of jams and it really paid off and by the way every single jam at the baker's dozen was not equally interesting like it just right. it wasn't because again that's not how improvisational um you know art works it's just it's impossible uh, and that's not doesn't have to do with being prepared or more prepared or you know it's just that's just the way that improvisational uh music works so um so let's see here we um we you know the the what the tab tour did was i mean some of the jams that I saw, the Wolfman's Encore from uh, 10-1-21, yes. you know, almost 15 minutes long. And it's like, it is 100% type one. It's like the, the analogy that I like to use is this, is that I'm a huge fan of Monet. I, I retweet Monet paintings all the time. Um, that, that if you are looking at a Monet painting, and uh, a couple of times I've been lucky enough to be in an empty art museum and been able to just like spend like five full minutes with a Monet painting, just me and that painting. If you are standing there from five feet away, you then move up to four feet away. It's like in, it's the exact same painting, but in some ways it looks completely different. different or you stay at five feet and then you just like move over to the side a little bit. So it's just, you know, like maybe instead of dead on, you're looking from like, you know, like 10 degrees difference. It's again completely different, like just the way that the same, and that's exactly what Tab just did over and over and over again, was that it was a painting, but the, it felt like you know you kept on changing perspective, changing angle, changing depth, um, and uh, and it's real subtle stuff, which I could see a lot of people getting bored with. I mean, I could see how someone could get bored with. I didn't see people getting bored. I didn't get bored with it. No, no, yeah, well, and and. Yeah, uh, it's if you if you did you being anybody again, it's not a slight, right? right? But there was a lot of really subtle like conversations going on between uh, you know Des and Fishman, Des and Trey, Trey and Fishman, of course. Um, you know, uh, especially that trio I found was really playing off of each other a lot, and I am curious to see if that carries over to Fish Tour at all, where. Um, because in general nowadays, fish doesn't have the uh, doesn't have much patience in terms of type one jamming, which we talked about before. Which is that when it's not really going anywhere, it uh, when they just like modulate and do a bliss jam right away. That's kind of like you know, in a, in case of emergency, break glass. It feels like they break glass quite a bit. Whereas the trade band, they were obviously like. I don't think they decided that the everything's right was going to be 30 minutes, but I'm quite sure that they were like, 
we're taking this deep because there was only X number of tunes that they had been able to learn together. Right. And um, yeah, it's like, and every time they had to end a jam, Trey had to turn around all the way to Fishman and like signal him that it was ending just yeah. because like, you know, again, but sometimes um, uh, who was it that uh, posted an Ernie Stiles, Trey's composition teacher quote about how creativity, um, you know, happens when there are uh, constraints. And, you know, that was one of those where like, Trey is the one who is going to end the jam because yeah. it's the Trey Anastasio band. And so that, but that in a lot of ways frees up everybody else on stage to just like go deep until you are told to do something else. And so there's just, there's no part of it where you're, it's like being a completely passive passenger in a car, right? Like where if you're, if your dad is driving you somewhere, like, and you can just like, your dad is not looking for you to be like, Hey, there's a light, you know, up ahead that's been green for yeah. a while and it's probably going to turn right. You just, you're passive. Right. And, uh, the, it's funny that having being passive in that sense, in a leadership sense can free up so much deep conversations because you don't have to worry. It's like being a guest on a podcast versus the host where I can just kind of go and then you steer us where we need to go, where it's like, you know, if the, if the interview really sucks, it's the interviewer's fault, not the interviewee's fault in um, oversimplifying. Is that, is that your way of subtly blaming me for us not talking about Mike's song for like 80% of this episode? <laughs> that's complete. I'd forgotten about, but we're talking about, but that's it's the like, topic. It hit. No, that exactly. That's the fun. Yeah. This is actually, um, believe it or not, there's, I, I believe at least one other episode where we talk less about the song there. Uh, that was picked. <laughs> so, um, the, yeah, this I, it's, feels like a great uh point to wrap up uh yeah we hit well, an hour my last my last point is that mike's song i think uh the the good and, <laughs> and the bad and the whatever i think is very indicative of like the development of the band and yeah. about how uh, which is i think why we ended up going off on so many tangents uh because because yeah i think that there's like a lot of parallels um with and it's a tune that um you know there were some what was the the Mike song down south uh, early in summer tour was uh, that was uh, it was either Alabama or, or Alpharetta or Alpharetta I'm yeah that weekend um but uh, and and no one should go seek it out it's like one of the worst Mike songs ever played it's just like well it's it's super short it's like um just... maybe oh no yeah oh yeah because they did the short week of pocket Arkansas there's say, there's Arkansas, no but... there's no urgency it's just like. It's just there. It's it's fine. It's mm -hmm. totally fine. But like, it's like, but yeah, that that's like. But then like, where it went later in the tour was. But again, that was a late set one where it was like a paint by numbers. It's just like, yeah, it was just, and it was a it was a little bit sloppy. But then it just like ended, you know. And then the right. Weekapog just kind of ended, and you know, those tunes I think are, um, you know, should be judged within the framework of of where they can go. And then the the mics that you mentioned, uh, you know, from later in the tour got real interesting, like yeah. real. And they weren't super long and there was no second jams, but like very interesting stuff, like from the first measure of the first jam, you know. So, yeah, um, it's improvisational rock. There's times yeah. when it's good and there's times when it's not. And that's like the, you know, which is what can make it special. Right. And I, before we stop, I just occurred to me that I totally forgot to even mention the jammed out Mike song from fall 2018 from Nashville. Mm -hmm. um, that's yeah, also yeah. phenomenal. Um, yes. That everybody should go listen to. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. Not a second jam unfinished, nope. 
and was, goes into one hell of a ghost too. Yes, that was uh, that was fun as hell. I was at that one too. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Drew, uh, yeah. for coming on today. Um, really enjoyed this chat. Um, and uh, you know, we're, we're recording this on uh, the eighth, so good luck on the MSG on sale. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> to both very of us. Much. And I wanted to uh, I wanted to thank you for putting this out into the world because I I know that I saw somebody uh, I saw somebody posted I think it was on Facebook um, and I, that you know like what could a 18 19 whatever year old kid at the time like you know what the hell insights is like those are people that don't have the courage to put out their own thing because as soon as you put out a thing then people can think that your thing sucks right right if you don't have a fish podcast there's no way that i could hear your fish podcast and be like ryan's fish podcast sucks yeah so it takes courage to put stuff out well thank you and and you don't need to be some 46 year old dude with like low key lower back pain who was at (laughs) you know 10 rows away for the new year's 93 hood to have interesting opinions about the music just like i wasn't there for any of like you know i wasn't there for right of spring when it was premiered and i have strong opinions about it so i just don't listen to the um to the morons who will tell you that you need to be older or taller or have more money or less money or what the hell ever you know hoop they decide to make you jump through to Mm -hmm. um to justify them not putting anything out into the world so just keep doing what you're doing because we we need more of it thank you so much i appreciate it Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of We Move Through Stormy Weather. Have a fantastic day, and I will see you next time. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast.